I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey, everyone. It's the Touch Em All podcast in studio, both of us. A rare in-studio springtime edition of this podcast. When is the last time this happened? I was just trying to think. It was for sure before spring training. When when did you go to uh, Fort Myers? Report date, February 12th. All right. And so you just got back late last week. Uh, Actually, we were in town on Sunday, but we just decided to do the podcast from our respective living rooms. Truthfully, after six weeks, I didn't want to see you in person. (laughs) I kind of did want to see you. It makes me sad. Well, this is weird. Yeah. Um, You know what? Let's start off with, if you have them in front of you, we uh, just want to give another shout out to the... We did this mid-episode or toward the end of the episode last time, but just to bring it to the front, for you guys who have spent time with us, either if you're a new listener or if you've been with us since... You know, the beginning of three seasons ago when we launched this podcast, we set a monthly download record for uh, the month of February mm-hmm. and then also the 30-day period from like mid-February to March when you were in Fort Myers. Yeah. It's the most downloads we've ever had on the Touch Em All podcast. Huge. So thank you to all of you. We appreciate all of your listenership, all your feedback on social media and via email and the thoughtful discussion. And we just really appreciate you as an audience. Yeah, and I appreciate the iTunes reviews. I was jokingly talking about throwing five stars on there and saying something snarky. So I was digging through our reviews, Phil, and some of the more recent ones are great. I mean, I didn't read this long one. Maybe I should have previewed it before the show starts, but a couple off the top. Five stars, 1500 ESPN has the best baseball talk and coverage than any other local station in town. Thank you to the baseball clown who put that one up. Uh, Gopher Nate says, number one in analysis, humor, analogies, and listenability. Wow. When it comes to the Minnesota Twins, love the show every week. Uh, most listenable Twins podcast. That's surprising. Go sample some other ones, too. You can't just be a one-podcast sample for these reviews. Yes, that's exactly. That's a small sample size. Uh, the last one I'll read here, five stars by The Strap Season. My favorite podcast out there. For a Twins fan, it's simply the best. This is the long one. I don't know if it gets mean or sappy. I should just... I should just keep going. We'll see. I just keep going. Let it unfold in front of our eyes. Phil and Derek share tons of knowledge, opinions, and everything else in between on baseball and our favorite ball club. You can tell that they kind of root for the Twins to be good, but they're still objective and realistic. I also like the length of the podcast as it's concise and efficient, unlike some other Twins podcasts out there. Touch them all, fellas. So that was very nice of the strap, fellas. It's mostly concise because I already do four hours of radio every day, and I just don't want to do like just another tired. hour and a half. So it's more of a selfish motive for just, it to be concise. Well, and then by the time you... That's the end of this episode. So <laughs> Thanks for listening. By the time you've heard my long-winded theories go on and on and on, there's a certain like eyes glaze over factor. That's like, okay, hey, can we maybe wrap this up sometime soon? We're at the Touch Em All podcast where every episode is like a Pat Royce column. Yes. Wait till the end before... The point is highlighted. We'll get to the point. In fact, let me let me share, and then we'll get into this episode. I know you want to talk about Anthony Swarzak, some of the Twins' development problems. I have a question from a listener about shortstops in the minor leagues we can certainly talk about. But a, a quick Pat story is that uh, uh, I, I was staying with him for the majority of my time at Twins Spring Training this year. So I got to know him a little bit, and we'd go out for dinner every once in a while. He's telling this story about a time... Uh, did you ever work in newspapers, Phil? I don't know. I could, never, I, nope, never. Okay, I knew you were a radio guy, but uh, 
So sports stories are treated much differently when they are on the front cover of the newspaper than when they are just in the sports section. They're in the sports section. You know, Chip Scoggins can assume that you know who Kirk Cousins is. You know this is a big move. And now he can speak from that point. Yeah, so if you only get like 700 words, you don't have to spend 200 explaining who Kirk Cousins is to that audience. Now, Chip... Chip writes for the front page. If he's writing for what we'd call A1, the f- most important story in the newspaper for the day, he has to explain Kirk Cousins is a National League football player, and <laughs> he plays quarterback. And quarterback, by the way, is a fairly important position, and the Vikings just signed him, and here's the significance. like you just, You're speaking to a different audience, and Pat famously speaks to what he calls an audience of one. He writes the reader. He writes columns that he would enjoy reading, and I personally appreciate that a lot. He's he's one of the only must read writers out there for me, and he was telling a story about a time that he was going to write the lead for a one or or the front page of the newspaper, and the main editors, not the sports editor, those people's bosses are saying, "Yep." We're going to have Pat do this column. We need him to get to the point quickly. In the first sentence, tell us what this is about and why the reader should care. And Pat said, screw that. Put it on the inside where it belongs. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to write it how I want to. I'll get to the point. When I get to the point. So there's me getting to the point of my story. Pat also, our, uh, he has created a schism or a feud between his radio show and ours. Uh, earlier this week, Kirk Cousins, the, new, the news came down that Kirk Cousins was on the verge of signing. It was like two days before he could actually sign. Or I think it was Tuesday, and the signing period opened up on Wednesday. And so at 10 o'clock, right in the middle of our show, news comes down that Kirk Cousins is on the verge of agreeing to an $84, $86 million contract with the Vikings. Pat calls the hotline at 10.15, behind the scenes off the air, and asks our producer, Dave Harrigan, um... Hey, uh, I was at the Lance Lynn press conference, and uh, I can uh, join the boys if they want to talk a little, uh, little, little Lance Lynn. We're like, well, uh, Pat Kirk Cousins is the hi- the highest coveted free agent quarterback next to Drew Brees that's been on the market for a number of years, and he's going to be a Viking, and people are going bonkers and crazy, and that's the most popular team in town. Blah blah blah. Ah, oh, oh, that's uh, I didn't know. So Pat, like immersed in baseball, didn't know that. Kirk Cousins was about to agree. So we said, listen, we're probably not going to get – we'll get to Lance Lynn later on. We have like six months to talk about Lance Lynn. Um, but this is the only time ever that we'll get to talk about Kirk Cousins signing with the Vikings like breaking as it's news. as it's happening yes. in breaking news. Yes. And so not only did he just like, – instead of just say, okay, yeah, I understand, he gives us a 90-minute window to call him about Lance Lynn. And we said, well, we'd take it at the end of the show or something. But, ah, the game's going to be going on. Hmm. Doesn't just let it die. Spends – Two segments ranting about it on his show, yes. saying he'll never come on yes. their show fact, ever again. I was going to ask Wait you about a second. this. I was going to ask you, give you a chance to respond. I was humble brag. I was on my way to the gym, and I had sports talk on, and Pat's telling Joe and the gang about why he's done with you guys. He said so many times, bleep them, I'm done with them. They, well, they threw, ever call me again. He threw you under the bus, too. Did he, he said, really? I'm paraphrasing. He said... They've always got time for Matthew Collar or Derek Wetmore or who, whatever scrub from 1500 ESPN <laughs> that they want to put on. I didn't know that. Yes. Oh, he torched me. Yes. Ridiculous. So, Jeez. anyways, Pat, wow. listen, 
we're going to be unavailable. We're going to be talking Vikings backup quarterback. They got Trevor Simeon now, so uh, we're just not going to have time Jeez. to talk baseball. Games. And I, I had him on this podcast. <laughs> oh. Hopefully, he uh, he gets over pretty what a soon. Low blow. So let me let me bring this up with you here. Da- so Dan Hayes is the new Twins uh, beat writer and columnist for the Athletic. Yeah, and he wrote a piece a couple days ago, and you've I'm sure you got to know him a little bit in Fort Myers. You guys wrote down their covering. Yeah. And he brings up a premise that's really important to note over the next three months until the trade deadline. The Twins improve their team exponentially with the bullpen, with Lance Lynn, with Logan Morrison, and uh, and you know I might be missing somebody in here. Um, whatever, like Michael Pineda, they signed maybe to a to a deal that could be relevant in 2019. They improve their roster without giving up any of their top 20 prospects. So they've got all this ammunition to unload if they want to, and I think they will, before the July 31st trade deadline. To take your team and then add three quality relievers to it, a middle-of-the-order bat, Jake Odorizzi for a non-top-20 organizational prospect, and Lance Lynn, who's been one of the better pitchers in baseball, like one of the top 30 starting pitchers in baseball at various times over the past five or six years, and still have your full stock of 15 or 20 top arms, top position players, that you could bundle two or three or four of those guys together for a Chris Archer, they've put themselves in a really, really good spot going forward. Yes, I fully agree with the premise that you guys were asking me uh, just about any time I came on the radio, when's Chris Archer going to be a twin? And I guess, you know, it could be on August 1st, right? He's going to start the season as the Rays' ace. And there are some people who even think that Maybe we're being too harsh on the Rays, and maybe the Rays will contend this year. I'm not ready to go that far yet, and I would certainly be circling names like Chris Archer if I was the Twins. He's not the only one. I'd be targeting other cost-controlled aces. Um, you know, That type of trade is now within the realm of possibility. I mean, the front office has put themselves in a spot where they could. You could see this thing going one of two ways. If they don't impress and things aren't going well— Look, they got a lot of short-term contracts and some veterans and stuff now. If the Twins were to do a fire sale, they could really, really beef up on prospects. But I think it's going to go the other way, where this team's kind of hanging around. It's 500 or better. Um, Irvin Santana comes back. Trevor May comes back. you got a pretty solid 25-man roster and the depth down below. I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Twins were able to pull some sort of you know, prospects for ace level trade. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because they have to be there to do it. But if they are there, if they are in that position, I think the front office has done a pretty good job of putting themselves in the spot where they have the assets to get it done. Yeah. Now they don't have, I I was looking at uh, MLB pipeline and and their rankings of farm systems and that's just one publication, but they don't have the twins as a top 10 farm system anymore because so many of their top guys, Sano and Buxton and Barrios have graduated from that and Kepler. And so now it's, you know, it's the Gonsalveses and Fernando Ramirez of the world. But, you know, I still think it's a top half of the league farm system, and there's still a lot of quality players. Royce Lewis, who I would never trade. I don't, I, 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 the only guys I would trade Royce Lewis for are guys that the other team wouldn't trade either. Like, sure. well, Bryce Harper, but he's going to be a free agent. So I wouldn't trade so Royce would, Lewis for Bryce no, Harper. No, because he's going to start making, you know, he's going to sign a contract for like $500 million or something absurd. Uh, but it's just, it's a, it's a great spot to be in, and I think with... The best part about their rotation additions isn't that they added aces, because they didn't. Um, Jose Barrios could still be an ace. I don't think they have a true number one starter. They don't have like a, 
uh, a Justin Verlander in his prime. They don't have a Clayton Kershaw. But the luxury they do have now is they don't have to go into the season with pitchers they feel uncomfortable with as unproven starters in a playoff race. They don't have to go in with... Aaron Sleggers at their number four, number five starter. He's back in minor league camp. What, they can you, let they can let those guys kind of fight it out and then earn a spot in the starting rotation. Sure. What do you think about? So I think Jake Odorizzi. If you want to use numbers, and I don't really like numbers, I think of it sort of in terms of tiers. Like this guy's a tier one starter, and there's fifteen of them. Um, or that's ace. You know, to use sure. a common term, but like I don't really think about guys as like he's a number 4 starter at best. It's like well, you know, in whose rotation and what does that even mean? But I think I think generally if you say number 3 starter, listeners of the Touch 'em All podcast know what I mean by that. He's a mid-rotation guy, he's solid, he'd make basically any rotation in baseball, and if he had to start a game in the ALCS, you're not terrified. Mm-hmm. And I think that of Jake Odorizzi, I think that of Lance Lynn, I think that right now of J.O. Barreos, and I think that right now of Irvin Santana. Last year, ace. This year, not so sure. Yeah, I know, think he's a 34, 35-year-old, you know, four-plus ERA pitcher. And I really like the idea for the Twins. For, so Fernando Romero, you, fans got to see him pitch. That was my first time getting to watch him pitch Filthy. more than just, like, highlight clips. He throws insane stuff. When he's Sometimes on, doesn't know where it's going. Yes, okay. Where he's like driving a Ferrari and can't reach the pedals sometimes, but it's a Ferrari. It's the steering wheel that I'm worried about. Yeah. Well, that's and like can't see over the top of it, whatever. Uh, but the stuff is there. Sure. Imagine in the second half of the season, or if Gonsalves really starts to click, if you're able to go down and summon a Fernando Romero, and they and they scale back on his innings early in the year. I don't think he's going to be throwing eight innings every time out. They're probably going to go easy on his innings and maybe aim for 150 or 160 innings this year. And then you get to tap into him either in your rotation or as just a weapon out of your bullpen yeah. in the second half. Yeah. That's a, and there's two or three other guys in that same category. That's a really, really interesting prospect for uh, for the Twins to look at starting in July, August, September. Yeah, I just think, so I think with the numbers game, Romero surfaces this year. I think you see him in the big leagues, but I think he's in the bullpen. Um I think there's more volatility in the bullpen. We talk about they've added three arms. I like Zach Duke. I think he's a good major league pitcher, and I think you look at his stats and they would point to, yeah, okay, this guy could be a big, solid contributor, number one lefty in a bullpen. Mm -hmm. I could also see it going the other way, where you're really relying on Taylor Rogers and Zach Duke's kind of like, well, he's had his injuries. Uh, Boy, wrong side of 30. Same with Fernando Rodney, where I think he could be great in that role. Or... I think it could blow up in the Twins' face. That's why I think Addison Reed was such a significant addition. That's why I think Trevor Hildenberger is going to be such a significant part of this bullpen. But I think there's more volatility in the bullpen than there is in the starting rotation. So let me ask it to you this way. Their strategy clearly is just to add good pitchers. It's boiled down to its simplest form. Hey, our pitching wasn't good enough last year. Falvey, how do we fix that? Oh, I know. Let's add good good pitchers. Bullpen, starting rotation, 2018, 2019, doesn't matter. Let's add good pitchers to the fold. The rest sort of sorts itself out. I think they have too many starters right now. Doesn't matter. They have like 13 or 14 starters that are like ready to pitch in the big leagues this year. Guys that you would feel better about than what you got from Adam Wilk last year, yeah. for example. Or Nick Tepish or whoever. There's like six of those guys Fill from last year. Blank. And so, so here's my question is like, Maybe they did try to target an ace. Maybe they tried to get you Darvish on a deal that they liked, 
and he picked the Cubs. Okay, well, you missed out on Darvish, but it's inarguable that they've improved their overall quality by, you know, now if Phil Hughes gives you nothing, okay, probably still going to be fine. If he gives you something, great. It's gravy. That's added value over the top of it. What do you think about the strategy in general of not adding at the very, very top end of the roster, of the rotation, but just making sure that you have four or five or six guys that if you said, hey, we need 32 starts from you, that you wouldn't go running and screaming. So I'm okay with it. This goes back two or three episodes ago when you and I were talking about the two different chess boards that you're playing on. Chessboard number one is the six-month regular season where you have to get to like 88-plus wins to make the playoffs. So there's a that's a six-month game where you just have to you have to be good enough to put yourself in a spot to get to 88, 90 wins mm-hmm. and assure yourself of October baseball. So the Twins rotation, as constructed right now, I think is good enough for that first chessboard. It's a lot like some of those division champion Twins rotations. Even like the post-Johan. So they in 2009, they went to the playoffs post-Johan and in 2010. It was a game 163, and, and then they went and got swept. Those were number three starter rotations. Yes. Carl Pavano was a number three starter. Scott Baker is like a number three, number four starter. Nick Blackburn, when pitching well, was like a number three, number four starter. But they, but they, they had enough guys who are just quality starting pitchers to get you to the prerequisite ninety wins. Sure, yeah. And then their problem was, okay, now that we're going to get rid of all the, the bad teams, mm-hmm. and we're left now we're just left with the best teams in baseball. Yeah. And what do they look like? Now you have the worst pitching staff because you don't have that Corey Kluber type guy, that Clayton Kershaw type guy. So I, I think the moves they've made have put themselves in a position to at least be effective on the first chessboard. The second chessboard remains to be seen. Yeah. If Jose Barrios totally. becomes the pitcher that we think he can perhaps become, um, I feel even better about the starting rotation. Yeah. But using going back to our you know conversation from a few minutes ago, using your assets, I think if you're going to trade for an ace caliber starting pitcher like a Chris Archer, it's not going to be the difference between missing playoffs and making. I think you're a playoff team. I really do right now. I mean, not surefire, but I think you're a playoff team. It might be the difference between getting in and getting in the wild card game or getting swept in, in a division round and actually being able to make noise and, and match up. Okay, Chris Sale is the Red Sox number one starter. Who's yours? Right. Or Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco, two of the top 15 pitchers in baseball. What, what are you going to counter with? Yeah. Um, that's, that's the question that remains to be seen. It's not urgent. They can do, I mean, the Astros waited until. Until August to land Justin Verlander, that was a, that, that was a waiver yep. deadline trade for them. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't make that trade, they don't beat the Dodgers in the World Series. They might not make it to the World Series. You're right. Yes, and I think that the Twins, we can't compare them with the Astros. They're I don't just, think you can compare any team with yeah, the Astros right now. They're projected. I heard their Pakoda projections are for 101 wins, and that's a conservative yes. publication. Yes, where they Fan try not to. Also, I believe has them at like 100 or 101 wow. wins, wow. and usually you don't see more than 94, 95 in yeah. those projections. Like, it, you're a great team if you're projected to win 93 games because that's like things could go really well or things couldn't go very well, and what's in the middle? Yeah, it's like 93 wins is a really high number. Like they could flirt if they don't suffer injuries or massive regression. I mean, Alex Bregman is like one of their sort of side piece hitters, right. and that dude is side incredible piece. and was the yeah. best hitter in the SEC three years ago. Right. Um, yeah, so I think side Astros are like hitters. tier one, and then 
Cubs, Red Sox, Yankees, yeah. Indians are in that next. And group. another reason you can't compare the Twins is because they haven't been in that spot to make that go for it move. Like last year, you could argue they were and they didn't. They ra- raised their white flag, and I, you know, we can argue about that forever. You and I disagree a little bit about what happened at the trade deadline. I think they got it wrong now, knowing what we know. But like the Astros were in a similar spot, or like they're a really good team. Young core, good hitters. They also have Dallas Keuchel. That helped. And they had a really good bullpen. They really loaded up on their bullpen, even though it you know, abandoned them in the World Series. But they had these great pieces, yeah. and then they made the go-for-it move, Justin Verlander. All right, what do you got? The Twins haven't done that yet. I'm, I don't know for sure if it's going to happen this summer, but I'm excited about the possibility that, like, okay, you see where the Vikings are, and you do a four-hour sports talk show on Minnesota sports. It's fun to talk about the Vikings as like a really great team, magical run last year, disappointing finish, and now they go fix their biggest need with the biggest, most obvious solution. People are stoked about the Vikings, and I think to a slightly lesser degree that the Twins are in a similar spot where like they're putting it all together, and now we're going to get to see what does the go-for-it move look like for this Twins front office. I think this could be a really exciting summer. Yes. Uh, Transition here. Interesting quotes from a former Twins pitcher. Just a quick before we get to that, uh, a quick word for Luther Brookdale Toyota, which is the service department and dealership my family and I have been going to for thirty plus years. It's on the corner of six ninety four and Brooklyn Boulevard here in the Twin Cities, and they will buy your used vehicle from you, or they'll even just—it's the best way to find out what your used vehicle is worth. So if you're just kind of thinking, I might want to upgrade. I might want to. Uh, what can I get? How much money can I get for my used vehicle? What's it worth? You can get a no-obligation, no-fee appraisal uh, just by going in during normal business hours, open until 9 o'clock most nights. And uh, it doesn't have to just be a Toyota. Any make, any model, they will tell you what your vehicle is worth. They'll present you with a check, or you can take that value and put it forward to something else. There's a link on the homepage. It's just a little thing at the top. It's a button that says We Buy, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. I'm sitting here on the Twitter page of Tim Britton, who covers the Mets for The Athletic. He talked to Anthony Swarzak. Twins fans might remember. Second-round draft pick. Sure. Kind of a flamed-out starter, and then as a reliever, he was a mop-up guy. and He's a guy that a lot of fans just... Uh, I, he, he was a guy that was constantly getting shelled and giving up home runs and was kind of the, oh, man, Swarzak's coming in. Game must be out of hand, right? Then he goes over... In 2000, let me find the timeline here, uh, 2015, I want to say. Yep, the KBO in 2015 at age 29. And actually, wasn't wasn't he had a five-and-a-half ERA in the KBO, but then did enough or put enough on tape to come back, pitched in the major leagues, Yankees, White Sox. He has become a strikeout reliever. He's become a big-money guy who just signed a multi-million dollar contract with the Mets, had a 2.3 ERA last year between two teams, 77 innings, 11 strikeouts per nine. He's been incredible the last couple years. Here's what he had to say. I'm just going to read this to you, okay? I can speak freely now because everybody that was in the Twins organization when I was there is not there anymore. I got drafted in 2004 out of high school in the second round throwing 95 to 97 mile an hour four seamers at 18 years old. I had a good curveball and could throw strikes. Five years later, I'm a sinker slider guy in AAA pitching to contact, trying to throw 90 pitches in nine innings. If you threw less than 90 pitches in a complete game, you get a free steak dinner on the pitching coach, was what the Twins offered. 
That's what they wanted. I was sinking the ball into contact. I had some good games and some bad games. I got to the big leagues, and it was kind of the same thing. There was no consistency. I got moved to the bullpen. And stuff plays in the bullpen. I still tried to force contact uh, with sinkers the next two or three years, trying to eat innings. I was the long guy. You really can't come in and throw 25 pitches in an inning to strike out the side. That's not what you need. They need you to throw 25 pitches in four innings to finish the game and save the strikeout guys for the next game. It was kind of a transition for me. Now, I understand... I know the role shouldn't determine how you get uh, a swing and a miss. If I had gotten more swings and misses, I probably wouldn't have been in that role very long. You just have to grow up and mature as a professional and realize what works for you and what doesn't. Pitching to contact didn't work for me. It took me 10 years to figure that out. That's amazing. Hmm. It's not shocking. It's the old regime. And I don't want to sit here and crap on the old regime because I think the new regime understands pitching and development and the importance of missing bats and strikeouts and not just allowing contact and batted balls to dictate your fate. But Anthony Swarzak always had stuff. And I remember, so I covered some of those teams. I covered like four different Anthony Swarzak teams. And I remember there were a couple pitchers in that clubhouse. Glenn Perkins was one of them. And Glenn understood analytics and, you know, how to generate swings and misses. You know, he would, six years ago, he was looking at spin rate and things like that. And and there was a couple pitchers that would try to get Anthony Swarzak to be a little bit more up to speed or mindful about tweaking mechanics or pitch selection. And, you know, don't listen to what you've been told here. This is the way you get swings and misses. But the philosophy for so long was efficiency. Hey, fewer pitches. Let's get let's get in. Let's get out. Let's get the fielder's feet moving around. And let's let your second baseman help you out. And that worked amazingly well when Doug Minkiewicz was your first baseman and the best in baseball and Torrey Hunter's your center fielder. And actually, you know what? It wouldn't be terrible now because Byron Buxton's in the outfield and Joe Maurer is... Uh, should have been a gold glover and Brian Dozier. But uh, it's just it's just interesting to see a guy. This this is a good glimpse into a really talented pitcher who was a second-round draft pick who's thriving now and making millions of dollars in a different role. Why the Twins weren't able to pump out more successful pitchers. It was this antiquated and, in a lot of cases, just misguided way of thinking about development. Yeah. Uh, my initial reaction, because I saw your prep email, and I intentionally didn't go seek out these Anthony Swarzak comments. I wanted to be surprised by them sure. on the podcast. And I guess surprised is maybe the wrong word, because I hear that, and I'm like, yeah, that probably adds up. My only thing that I want to add into this, because you just laid it all out beautifully, you painted this canvas, I don't want to touch it up or anything like that. You're it was a Picasso of the of You're a Renoir, and I'm just Baseball like, pontification, right? Yeah, I'm here to deliver this painting to the museum. <laughs> But the only thing that, that stands out to me is like, is this a little bit of revisionist history that like other pitchers were also probably told the same thing and had more success? And I'm but, looking... uh, but other pitchers may have had stuff that sure that played better with that strategy. Yeah. So sorry to cut you off and derail you already, but that's fine. I, I we think... already decided that you're the artist here. Right. Well, I think the reason why I, I buy into Swarzak's theory here is there's multiple reasons why. For one, the Twins legitimately did not develop a top end in, oh, right. outside of like Glenn Perkins and maybe another one or two, but that's they didn't. It was a ten year period where they just. I'm not defending them. Yeah, it was a disaster. So something in terms of that something was wrong. Yes, or they were the the unluckiest team of all time at at just identifying talent in the crapshoot. Also possible. But he also like <laughs> Swarzak came in and was highly touted out of high school, second round pick, throwing gas. So had. It wasn't like he was a 15th-round pick that just magically figured it out after a long time. He was talented enough to be a second-round pick Mm -hmm. and then did almost nothing in the major leagues until going to other organizations in his 30s and then 
figuring out the art of missing bats. Right. So, you know, why, why wasn't somebody else helping him in the Twins organization figure out how to miss bats? And that's yes. because they weren't really focused on that when he was here. Absolutely. a. You hope that this is different now. Absolutely a failing, uh, failure in development to not identify a person's strengths and weaknesses, how to maximize the former, minimize the latter. Uh, I, it, you know, it's just I'm looking at his Fangraphs page right now. 2009 is the first year it came up. Swinging strike rate of 4.3%. Just like you could be trying to hit somebody's bat, and you should have higher than a 4.3% swinging That's strike rate. Now it's 14%. That's elite. That's why the Mets gave him multi-years big money to go be their closer or late-inning reliever fireman kind of yeah. guy. I get it. Understand that he's a different pitcher now, and he's a strikeout guy, and the velocity uh, has been climbing year after year, too. His fastball's back in the 95 range when he started his career, according to Brooks Baseball, 91-92. So my only thing is, like, how much is this, yep, damning the Twins for having such a bad track record of developing pitchers? And secondly... I, I'm. I, I don't know. I'd. I'd like to talk to Swarzak about this. It'd be very interesting to sit down with him and, you know, I, be introspective about this. How much of it is? You've got to know your stuff better than that. You can miss more than five and a half percent of bats, even if you are looking to, quote unquote, pitch to contact. I mean, Kyle Gibson has a better swinging strike rate than that, and he's your quintessential pitch to contact pitcher. Now, I think Gibson's sort of turned a corner. We can talk about that in another episode too. But uh, same kind of thing where he was developed into this, like, three pitches or fewer, get in, get out, get your ground balls, pitch nine innings. Okay, I don't think that's the way to maximize a starting pitcher's talent or his potential. I think Gibson is starting to tap into those other things. My only point being, can you blame the minor league pitching coach for taking you out for a steak dinner and then also blame him for not missing any bats by the time you get to the major leagues? I, I think that there's probably some culpability on both ends both on Swarzak and on the Twins' development system. Yeah, and I would say, like, I think it's just, and this is what the this is the new front office and what they're going to be judged on. You gotta you gotta increase your percentage chance to develop guys. Yeah. So um, there's we have one minute left in this episode because Kirk Cousins is about to talk. Oh, that's right. We gotta go back. listen to that. One quick thing: mm-hmm. test case for this Twins front office. Go get something massive out of Ryan Presley. All the talent in the world. Analytics say he should be great. Go make him into a great late inning reliever, yeah, and then I'll say if he, if he pops up yeah. and and becomes what you thought he might have been last year, and Addison Reed and Zach Duke. There's your challenge. Now you're now you're talking for yeah. sure. Uh, stat of the week, by the way, off the top of my head, I believe Carlos Silva once threw in that era of Twins baseball a nine inning complete game with seventy five pitches. <laughs> Stakes on just me. lobbing underhanded and praying to God that every line drive oh, is caught. Stakes on me, boys. 